okay? Um, but um, we are going to introduce the, the whole idea of the Apostles' Creed, which is a little bit new for me, and I, and I, um, I hope this um, will be profitable to you. It'll take, I don't know, 11 or 12 weeks, 11 or 12 Wednesday nights. Um, but tonight is really uh, kind of an introduction to the whole idea and, and, and an introduction to um, uh, a, a kind of a historical vignette, uh, description of why these things are important. I have to tell you that, um, am I off again? <laughs> I'm on again. Um, I'm back last October when this whole thing came up and, you know, we were celebrating the 500 year anniversary of, of the Protestant Reformation. And everybody in the, in the evangelical world seemed to be celebrating it. And, um, and then I, 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 you know, just threw that thing in, the Apostles' Creed. And to, 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 to see the stir um, really was uh, surprising to me. Uh, it, it really kind of caught me off guard. And I think I have a bit of analysis as to why um, this uh, was so foreign to you tonight. And I hope it'll help. But let me say this first. Um, for some time, for years, really, I have wanted to teach... Um, some kind of course that would be similar to um, John Stott's uh, Basic Christianity. Gang, this book has been around since the 70s. Um, it is, um, John Stott was an Anglican pastor, um, very well thought of, one of my um, um, uh, heroes of sorts. But if you've never read this book, Basic Christianity, this is something that would really be good for you. Um, it, it's, it's trying to cover basics. So what I wanted to do is, is produce a course that would be somewhat like this. <clears throat> and I first thought about doing a, a, a GG class on uh, basic Christianity, and I thought, you really can't do that. I mean, I can't cover all of basic Christianity in two hours, so I couldn't do it like that. Um, that uh, two hours was not enough. And so it occurred to me that the Apostles' Creed would make a great outline for a course on basic Christianity. Um, with this understanding, there are parts of the Apostles' Creed that are in no way basic, or in, in no way are, could they be called essentials, like the communion of saints, uh, the holy Catholic Church, which we're going to get to one night. Um, but... Uh, uh, so th it's not that it's all the basics crammed in there, but there are a lot of them that are, um, that are basics. Now, gang, this is, one of, this is one of my frustrations, I guess. Unlike Hinduism, which, as I understand it, there are millions of gods in Hinduism, and, and even, even Buddhism, and, and now even in Roman Catholicism, when you've got a pope that's saying that Muslims and Jews and, um, and even non-Christians are going to be saved, um, I, I mean, in, in that kind of world, to stand up and say we believe something, that we believe certain things, is somewhat of a, um, an anachronism. It's like, oh, no, that, that was something that was confined back to the 17th and 18th centuries. No, ladies and gentlemen, um, Christianity believes certain things. And if you don't believe those certain things, then you take yourself outside of the boundaries of what is called historic Christianity. 
Now, um, in that, that, that's the, 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 the context in which confessions have played such a significant role. Uh, let me say, I'm not here to dispute with the cults or the liberals or the neo-orthodox. I am here to present, in a, in a matter of weeks, um, hopefully posil- positively, the claims, the truth claims of Christianity. Um, this is not about what we're against. It's, a, it's about what we're for or what we stand for. Now, to, to, to give you some kind of um, historical um, backdrop, which I hope will help, gang, the last 500 years of, of church history have been full of what, um, of, of, of conversations, of debates over the pros and the cons of what is called confessionalism. Um, maybe you've never heard of that term, confessionalism. Um, this is a confession of faith. It's called the Westminster Confession of Faith. It happens to be uh, a summary of my theological uh, position. This is a confession. It's not like you're giving your confession to the, the police who just picked you up after you murdered. I mean, forget that, the use of the term like that. We are confessing things, and that's called confessionalism. I am considered, I don't know about the rest of you, but I am um, proudly what is called, what is known as a confessional Christian. Um, A confession, or if you're a confessional Christian, you just have an adherence to a doctrinal statement which you believe summarizes uh, the Christian faith. That's what the Apostles' Creed is, folks. It's a confession. Um, And 20th century, particularly 1970s and forward, and 21st century Christianity have resisted this. And, and I think I understand a little bit of, of the reason why. And I, and I hope you'll find this somewhat interesting. Um, confessionalism, folks, has been the norm. That is the norm um, since the first century church. But, um, as Herban Bavink pointed out... Um, Confessionalism can often lead to a dead orthodoxy where we believe that the sum and substance of everything that we are is our confession. So it becomes, it becomes a real head game. Um, uh, if you want a classic example, just look at the Scottish church today, which is trying to revive itself. But in the 19th century, the Scottish church moved through periods of of weakness and then slumber and then absolute death. And and there was a time when the Scottish church was the the, um, A 
apex of everything uh, that Christianity stood for. Um, But then this confessional church dies. It's not that the church dies, but and a movement known as pietism arose. Again, do not, do not uh, associate pietism with piety. Um, I, I hope there's all there, I hope there is a, a genuine, deeply felt piety among us. But in response to a dead confessionalism, Oh, late in the 17th century, a guy, I forget his name, Steiner or something like that, brought to life this movement called pietism. It was a movement. Um, Or they wanted to be pietistic. Now, that can be um, a charge that we don't like about our, I mean, no, he's just being pietistic. He's just being pious. Well, it's come to mean that, guys. But pietism was a reaction against the dead orthodoxy in the state church, the Lutheran church in Germany. And so in the, in the, in, to confront confessionalism um, and its deadness, pietism arises. But guess what? It um, grows corrupt and becomes very legal um, very legalistic and um, and kind of semi-separatist. That is, you don't want to hang around those dirty people. So whereas pietism was trying to say, okay, a full head is not enough. There's got to be um, a, a deeply held felt, experienced, um, lived out, experiential piety. Um, <clears throat> some of the, some of the, the uh, slogans were deeds, not creeds. Maybe you've heard it in the 20th century version is um, no creed but Christ. Folks, I, I just hate it when people say stupid things like that. No creed but Christ. Oh, that's great. Which Christ do you mean? Uh, the, the Christ of Islam? Uh, the Christ of uh, Judaism? The Christ of Christianity? Which Christ? And by the way, who is Christ? The, the, uh, the idea that I can live without some kind of doctrinal substance to what I hope is just nonsense. <clears throat> But that came in response to a dead confessionalism. Uh, pietism called for personal holiness. Um, it, was, uh, it, it was to be a genuine spirituality instead of just a, uh, a, a, um, a head uh, experience. But guys, that... That pietistic, by the way, many would say that pietism gave birth to evangelicalism, of which you are a part. 
um, and the idea that we, we, don't want, we don't want doctrine to divide us. Ladies and gentlemen, that's just simplistic. That's, not, that's, that's dangerous to say, you know, I, I don't care about doctrine. All I care about is Christ. Well, I'm going to ask you immediately, then who is Christ? And, immediate, and, and we're therefore in a doctrinal discussion. Um, but pi- confessionalism went south. Pietism went south. Um, and one of the inevitable results of pietism going south uh, was an anti-church, low ecclesiology. You know what ecclesiology is? Um, um, ecclesiology. Ecle- uh, uh, that's a Greek word. That's a um, ology. It comes from a Greek word. Ecclesia. Your ecclesiology is what is your view of the church. Guys, most of you, a lot of you, have a very low ecclesiology. You want some proof? Please don't answer. Please don't raise your hand. Please don't do that. Just just sit there. And how many of you have not yet joined this church? That's a low ecclesiology, ladies and gentlemen. How about this? The the proliferation of the parachurch. Now let, let me say quickly, the parachurch. Let me just give you an example, like Young Life. Guys, I'm thankful for Young Life. I'm glad Young Life came into being because the church failed. The church failed, and so God raises up these institutions, and I'm glad he did. So don't don't hear me. I'm not an anti. I'm simply saying that because the church failed, are we now to say, let's not improve? Let's not get better. And so your ecclesiology is um, very full of the parent of church, which is not the church. You have a very low view of church membership. And that has its roots in pietism. Who needs the church? We don't need the church. We just need a genuine experience. Gang, that's pietistic. And you got to get over it. Um, There is a vast difference in church and parachurch. And one of these days we'll talk about it. Folks, um, of course... Health involves the combination of those two things. But you've got the confessionalism. Um, it went south, and so the reaction was pietism. It went south. And what we're looking for is a confessional brand of, Christian, of Christianity that has a deep 
thread of genuine godliness to it. Now, that's just really to, to let you know about what, what is confessionalism. Um, now, when one goes back to the first century church, you, you find that confessions played a very vital role. And I want to explain the, the role that they played in a minute. But I want to show you something. Um, and maybe you've already seen this. This is in 1 Timothy 3. Most people who know anything about this book would tell you that the first confession is not the Apostles' Creed. The first confession is found in the Scriptures. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. The text says this. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. If you're looking at it, uh, look at this. He was manifested in the flesh, Vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Do you see what the inspired writer Paul has done? He's given you the substance of a confession. What are these things? These are things that Christians believe. This is what we Confess. There's another one that's not as clear as that one, but it's in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. But there are most people, again, who know anything about this book would tell you that this too is one of the early church's confessions. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. This saying is trustworthy. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. <clears throat> that that was a early church confession uh, used by the church to, um, to define the boundaries of what it is that we hold dear. Um, I want to read you just one sentence. This is from Philip Schaff. Um, if you don't know the name, um, Philip Schaff is one of the more esteemed church historians, and you know you can find his two volumes on Amazon. Um, but I'm, I'm telling you, unless you love history, don't buy them. Um, but he said this in terms of the role that confessions played. Quoting the exigen- the exigencies of the church in the maintenance of her faith in conflict with heretics. Do you get it? The exigencies. Do you know what that word means? It just means an urgent need. The urgent need of the church in the maintenance of her faith in conflict with heretics. How did she combat it? She did so through creeds, through confessions. Um... That pretty much tells you the role that confessional statements like the Apostles' Creed have played. Now, let me give you a couple more examples and we'll, we'll wrap this up. By the way, this is, this is another, this is another con- Westminster Confession of Faith. If you, if you ever buy a Westminster Confession of Faith, buy this one. 
because it has commentary in there and it'll explain what it says. This is, this is really a good uh, little dev- uh, book to have in your, in your library. This is just something I found in an old bookstore, I think, or somebody gave me. Maybe Floyd Harvey gave me this. But um, this is an old, old copy of the Westminster Confession of Faith. All right, but church historians state that the two great problems theologically faced by the early church were these two things. Father and son, and yet one God. Do you know what that theological debate is about? What's it called? The Trinity. Two of the big issues that the early church faced was that they were, they were trying to pound out how you could have a father and a son and yet one God. Now listen. Listen to the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Do you hear what it just did? What did it do? It defined for the people of God orthodoxy. Whereas what they were facing and confronted with again and again is how to explain, well, there's a father and there's a son, and yet there's one God. And um, guys, one of the things that we probably ought to do after we get through with this is is do several weeks on Sola Scriptura. But um, because... Um, there was not a fully organized or at least a fully distributed Bible confessions of faith filled the vacuum. They played a critical role. And I mentioned one in October of 2017. And it's like, ooh, what's that? I don't know what that. I've never heard of that before. What's those words? I, ooh, we, we descended into hell. I don't like that. I don't know. I don't believe in the Roman Catholic Church, you know. And I think, what happened? What happened to the Christian Church? Where did we leave you? And I think, guys, it's because we are children. We are products of the 1970s, 80s, 90s, where there has been a very low ecclesiology. The church has not mattered. Um, for many of you, the parachurch filled the, the, um, the vacuum. And by the way, the parachurch has been called the church's unpaid bills. You get that? That is because the church failed. The parachurch stepped in and did the job. Bless God for them. But for heaven's sakes, it was supposed to be the church's job. So why in the world would we outsource youth ministry or discipleship or anything else? It's supposed to be our job. If we're doing it badly, then for heaven's sake, let's do it better. But that's another another story. Gang, um, here was the other great um, issue that the Christian church faced. Jesus, the son of God, and yet the son of Mary. Do you know what that is? That's Christology, the Trinity and Christology. 
the great essentials, two of the great essentials of the, of the Christian faith. And so let me read that quote again. The exigencies, the exigencies of the church in the maintenance of her faith in conflict with heretics. And so people would come to town and they would say, yada, 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 yada. And, and, and then there's a little church there in, the, you know, in, uh, in Bethsaida. And, and they would say, well, maybe, maybe that's the truth. And so the church would get together and say, wait a minute. Let's, let's define what we believe. And so you get things like the Apostles' Creed. Those things are treasures. Treasures of the Christian church. We didn't even know they existed. And we certainly don't know what they mean. But they were attempts because the Bible was at least wasn't fully organized or gathered or at least distributed. So they didn't have something by which they could measure all of these heretical claims. And so the thing that stood in that vacuum were things like the Apostles' Creed. You know, they say that the Apostles' Creed um, has 12 statements in it. You'll have to go count yourself. I haven't, I haven't looked into that. But they say that there's 12 statements in the Apostles' Creed, and every statement was written by one of the 12 disciples or apostles. And that's why it's called the Apostles' Creed, that each one of the apostles wrote one of the statements, of the, one of the 12 statements that are contained in it. I don't know whether that's true or not. But I do know they are, um, they are a rich part of our Christian heritage. You know, ladies and gentlemen, um, my wife really enjoys this, and so do I. And I hope, I hope you'll learn too. When I stand up there and I ask you to stand, and I say, Christian, what do you believe? <gasps> that is moving. All right, world. Here's what I believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sent at the right of the God of the Father. From this you shall come to judge the queen of the dead. I believe in the Holy Catholic. You know, that's what I believe. You want to know, world, what I believe? There it is. By the way, that's not all of it either. But it was one of those early confessions that was designed to protect the church from heresy. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a pope that's saying that Jews and Muslims and pagans are going to heaven. We've got, a, we've got all kinds of... You know, somebody said to me last week, this has become a post-Christian world. No, 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 it hasn't. It's become an anti-Christian world. And so there, you know, you think, well, you know, you guys, you don't believe that, do you? Yes, this is what I believe. I'm a confessional Christian. I'm a Christian based on certain truths that I think are derived out of the scriptures. And here's a summary. I believe in God the Father Almighty. 
And every word in those, somebody counted them one time, 87 words or something, 97 words, every word in there is important. I believe in God the Father Almighty. We ought to spend a week on Almighty. Just that word. Because I don't know that people believe in God the Father Almighty. They believe in God the Father some mighty. Or maybe God the Father a little bit mighty. Or maybe God the Father no mighty. But when we stand up together, ladies and gentlemen, and if you don't believe those 12 statements, then for heaven's sake, sit back down. Because we are confessing that as born-again people, we hold things dear. And these are the things that we hold dear. Or some of them. There's more. And, and interestingly, the Apostles' Creed does not get into Christology. Didn't make it. Those were the two big issues. God, the Son, and yet one God. Um, Christ, the Son of God, but also the Son of Mary. It addressed the first big issue. It did not address the second. You know what it did? Another creed. It's called the Nicene Creed. <laughs> and if you were raised in Methodist circles, you probably have at least heard of it. But I'm telling you, the, the reaction that we saw, I mean, it wasn't negative. Nobody was ugly. It was just, ooh, what's that? Never heard of that before. Um, is because we are sons and daughters of a very low ecclesiology. The church believes things, ladies and gentlemen. We believe them firmly. They define who we are. And they, divide, they define our position in a world against all approaches of heresy. Next time I ask you to stand up, I hope you will enjoy it more as you confess what it is that you hold dear. I love to do that. Let's pray. Our Father, I, I do pray that you'll um, use our, our times together in this confession to just remind us of the basics of our Christianity, the things that we are, um, that make us who we are and make the Christian church the only agency of hope and redemption in the world today. Oh God, um, in the midst of all of the assaults of the heretic, would you help us go back and land on all over again those things that are rock solid underneath us. Might, those, might that stance of solid ground help us while we are being deluged by error. We, um, we pray to that end for the glory of Christ Jesus and we pray in his name.